0: Today we're talking to Shankweta Cunningham. She is the founder of Karis Grants and Services in Jonesboro, and she helps uh, entrepreneurs and nonprofits get funding, find resources in their communities and anything else they really need to do. She also is the founder of Over a Cup, and this is a group that meets monthly in Northeast Arkansas. It is for women of color who are entrepreneurs or working nonprofits or just need the support of their communities, their colleagues in in the field. So this is a great thing that Shankweta does. And we really had a great conversation and I'm excited about the work she's doing. And we have never met in person, but I really look forward to it. So she's a wonderful asset to the state and I hope you can um, find a way to connect with her and help her in her endeavors. And she will do the same for you. So enjoy the conversation. Well, let's just start at the beginning. Tell, tell us who you are. Where are you from?
1: Thank you again for allowing me to interview with you. I think it's great. I follow the page uh, relentlessly and uh, just always am encouraged to see the other women, just women supporting each other um, in general. Um, I'm Shanquetta in Cunningham. I say the N since my name is so long, so mm-hmm. break it up. but Shanquetta uh, Nicole Cunningham, and I am... The founder and lead grant strategies of Harris Grants and Services, where basically I started exclusively as grant writing after um, I left the city of Jonesboro as a grant and a planning coordinator and decided to venture um, on my own in the area of grant writing. But over the last three years, it has definitely morphed into just an agency to that I cater to, non uh, businesses and um, community leaders, helping them to find strategic ways to increase their programs and also their income, you know, to better their communities. Are you from Northeast Arkansas? I am originally from Blondeville. I graduated class in 2004, and then I came to ASU to finish my collegiate years, majoring in a political science, and my master's is in public administration.
0: After college, did you start to work for the city then?
1: Yes, I actually started, I had to complete my internship there. Well, that was the place that I chose to complete my internship. And then after I graduated, thankfully, I was hired, you know, to begin officially as an employee of the city of Jonesboro. And
0: you said you were doing uh, grant writing for the
1: city? Yes, I was a grants coordinator, so that was not only grant writing, but also grant project facilitation. So we had a number of projects to where you had to, you know, once the other side to grants, is not just, you know, writing the grants, it's also the project management and ensuring that what you say you was needing the money for is actually going to be executed. And so that was also a major part of my responsibility as well.
0: So what was it that led you, was it things you were seeing working for the city that made you decide that you needed to just be out there in the community helping people? And
1: that's, why did you start Karis? Uh A number of reasons. Uh, we used to get, I mean, daily, people would come in and uh, inquire about grant writing services. And I always knew that I wanted to uh, be an entrepreneur, for one. I just didn't know the specific area. I knew that it was going to be centered around community and advocacy. I knew that for sure because, again, my background, political science, and public administration, I've always been interested in government, politics, and the whole social, you know, construct of um, community engagement. I just didn't know the how. And so, and I fell in love with grant writing. It really wasn't the grant writing, because that's tedious. It's the storytelling, and the storytelling, which leads to an outcome of having, you know, communities become better, people become better, because of the process, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm just the process to get to the ultimate goal. And so that's what I fell in love with. And, and uh, when people would come in and, you know, we say, well, no, we don't do that for individuals. We don't do that for a nonprofit or grassroots organization. Uh, I was really just led. Um, I talked with my husband and we just prayed about, like, I'm led to do this independently. Scary. Uh, but I just took the leap, And here we are today. And when did you start it? Officially... Um, I, I count the year 2014. In 2014, but I started doing um, pro bono work just to build up the organization in 2013. But I kind of like to just say 2015 to where it's, I've really been business minded. I guess I should say
0: more official about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and it's a
1: nonprofit. Is that right? So, CARES is an LLC working, working, um, but my target population and uh, my clientele um, are nonprofits and communities.
0: Okay, so you're you're basically a private consultant for nonprofits and
1: communities. Yes.
0: All right. So, in your work with the city, and then obviously since you've been out on your own, what are the what are the main needs that you're seeing from these communities and nonprofits that they're struggling to find or get help with?
1: I think one of the number one things, um, collectively, uh, really is a strategy for growth. There is sometimes what's familiar to unfamiliar to you is scary. There is a com- I think many nonprofits are comfortable, um, with if they can meet their day to day operations. If they can, you know, they're servicing this uh, particular group and they're okay. That it's okay. But, you know, when we look at the statistics of Arkansas via um, health, you know, with children and, and literacy, um, healthcare, obesity. We are, you know, we're doing poorly in those areas and, uh, and we need strategic ways to combat that and to, and a lot of that is getting the resources to be able to go out. And so one of the uh, primary things I think that's truly lacking, um, is just that strategic way of getting, you know, more money. Um, and getting those resources to really make a, a larger impact. Um, and, uh, you know, with a lot of the models that consultants use in the area of writing for organizations and writing, writing the grants and uh, to really just writing the same grants into the same funders, it's not producing those results. We need, uh, you know, we just need some different strategies. And mm-hmm. I think. One of the things that um our nonprofits from really gr- growing and exploring or, you know, being reflective like other parts of the state. That's not really a problem with, you know, Northwest organizations or in Central Arkansas. In Northeast Arkansas, we really have great opportunity to really grow into, um, to really, yeah, really grow in those areas. But we just have to be willing to take that leap um, and apply for a lot of the funding that's out there.
0: I don't know a lot about it, but I've I've talked to people who've worked in the Delta and you know, one I don't it's not really a complaint, but one comment I've heard is that so much money is thrown at the Delta, but it doesn't seem to be having the broad impact that we think it should. Is it because of this sort of in the box thinking that, that that we're still doing? And this is kind of a random question. I, I'm not saying that you're a, an expert on the Delta, but I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that, that folks have great ideas. They have identified the problems that need to be solved, but they maybe don't know how to implement them or find the funding to be able to implement them or even create a strategic plan.
1: Yeah, it's the strategy. Um, you know, we can, we always have a need. I think that's the thing. I get called daily <laughs> and, or. Emails daily, or oh, I need money, I need money. Well, we all need money, you know, for I have five children. Tell us I can be, We all need more money. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the lack of strategy because you can give an organization. I think that's a great point that you mentioned. We do have money coming into the Delta, but it's the strategy for systemic and long-term growth. We're giving money just to uh, ease what we're going and what we're facing now, not thinking about the longevity of, you know, sometimes we, you know, I'm encouraging organizations to implement programs and to the strategies that you may not see or come into fruition during your lifetime or during your tenure, but that, but building upon that, and uh, we haven't had much uh, leadership, I think, in that area, or or someone just been able to say, you know, what we're going to do, if we're going to think about not just how Our programs impact today, but 20, 30 years from now.
0: Do you think that's also a problem with politics? Because it feels like our the people who are in or running for office, they it's hard for them to see past their next election. And you know, I I hear people say they want government to run more like a business. Well, business should be innovative and take risks and might lose money. And so that's a. Do Do you think that part of the sort of stagnation in some of these areas may just be a lack of courage from The people who could have that leadership. I'm not sure how to articulate it, but you probably know what I'm trying to say.
1: Uh, uh, Or I I even think, I'll even think just to add a lack of honesty that the some of it in a lot of the things that we are facing again with Arkansas, we can just go down a list of a lot of things that we are. Behind, you know, we all we have this phrase: we thank God for Mississippi, so that we will not be last in many, you know, areas when it comes down, you know, to literacy and social socioeconomic status. You know, Mississippi, Louisiana, you're 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 trying to see are, are they last or we last? You know, and it, mm-hmm. it's a thing that we should not want to be entangled in, um, mm-hmm. and that's lack of honesty. That a lot of the problems were not created in two years, so it's not. You know, we're not going to solve them in two years. But, again, having that forethought that saying, well, if we have, if we start making these strategic plans now, these action steps now um, that way, 20 years, and if you think about it, a decade passes by like this. I am sitting here talking to you about my five children that I've had, but I'm like, I feel like I just graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, time will, uh, time waits for no one. And so, you know, I just think that we, and because politicians know. And in, in administrations and leaders, they honestly understand that, that it's going to take a lifetime. Some things, even cultural, takes a generation to, you know, to overcome. But, again, I believe if we take those intentional, setting short-term go- goals, excuse me, and those long-term goals, I think we'll be able to see a difference. And especially for here, we have to do things differently. Um, My pastor always says this phrase, and I love it. I use it all the time. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've already got. And so now it's time to really, like you said, uh, step out of the box and see what different innovative ways we can do so we can leave a better um, Arkansas, a better area for not just us, but our children and their children.
0: I love that. I agree completely. Um, In fact, I was just interviewing Kim Lane. She's at the Conductor in Conway, and you should meet her if you haven't. But uh, she was – I was telling her the same thing. You know, Arkansas doesn't have to always be next to last. You know, that is not a competition, like you just said, that that we should be engaged in. You know, we have amazing people here. They're smart. They're talented. You know, we need to tap into that. And there is no reason that Arkansas can't be just as good as New York or California, or anywhere else for that matter. No reason. We have to have the will.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And, um, be, and sometimes the greatest, we admire so many other places. And, you know, I think, like, what if we ever just thought to ourselves, why can't we create that atmosphere and that creative space so that people want to visit Arkansas, like we want to go to other areas and have mm-hmm. those experiences. Um, and, uh, you know, and but again, it, it, it takes a while to uh, get people to their understanding. There are some people that's just going to be standing their way. They like the hometown feel of Arkansas. And even, you know, this is, I know this is still controversial, but when it comes to uh, just a recent uh, vote with the minimum wage, it was amazing to see. Um, the discord that people were like, you know, if you raise this, then this is going to have to raise and this is going to have to raise. And I'm just thinking that when have we become so complacent and thinking that sixteen to $19,000 is great money for an individual? Mm-hmm. So
0: <laughs> you know,
1: we don't even think about it in that context. But again, that is, you know, that, but it takes people like yourself and other and and the initiatives that I am trying to do in the other break women that I know that's just going to have to move the conversation, not just the conversation, the actions forward um, mm-hmm. to create, you know, just to create the change we want to see. Yep, I
0: agree. And, and speaking of conversations, I'm I, I crave conversations about these issues and not from I'm right, you're wrong perspectives, but okay, so we each have our own ideas. Let's see if we can figure something out. You know, I owned a candy store and, you know, I paid, I paid the clerks, you know, I paid my people $10 an hour, which I really probably couldn't afford, but I just didn't feel right paying them seven twenty five or whatever the minimum wage was. And I am all paying higher wages, but at the same time, as a small business owner, I understand that concern as well, because we've got, you know, payroll is the biggest expense for most businesses. And, you know, so can I, I couldn't afford $15 an hour. But I also understand that the more money people make, the more they spend, the better my business performs. So it's this kind of a chicken and egg problem in my mind, and I don't know what the answers are. But I would love to have a conversation, and or at least hear other people talking about it, and say, okay, well, let's take all of these concerns and you know and figure something out. I mean, there are, there are solutions. We just need to be willing to have the the, the talk. Oh yeah, uh, and
1: be willing to also understand that uh, some things are trial and error. We are in the We're in a place, and I don't know, again, if it's from because the top on down or it's from the people that uh, policies cannot be wrong, you know, Mm -hmm. that that there's an expectation that everything is always going to be 100 percent correct, you know, and it could implement this. And if it is not the best thing, we learn and we, we move forward, you know, but. We're we're at a place to where if it's not working, then we want to just you know just have a mob <laughs> type of thing after that. And and, and again though, again that the, the desire to um, to grow as a business owner, uh, we both know that how you can start a thing is not always how you will end up with something. Mm-hmm. And, And once you put things in place, okay, this works, that that works. And when you're trying to do that for billions of people, there is going to be some hiccups along the way. (laughs) But at least have the conversation and at least start those beginning steps. And, uh, you know, especially, but I think a lot of the solution is going to come from small business owners. Um, The data supports it. As far as job creation, innovation, you get that from small business owners. And women are in that we're, we're opening up businesses twice as fast as men and sustaining them as well um, longer than men. Uh, we just now have to, you know, get that information out there to where uh, it's, a, it's, it's the norm. And people look at it as a norm that women's leadership, entrepreneurship is not an anomaly. That mm-hmm. is something that we're good at, and that we probably have a lot of solutions. Yeah, that we, we're women. Hey, <laughs> all we do is solve problems. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a great segue into over a cup. And before I launch into that conversation, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I mentioned Kim Lane. We were talking about diversity in entrepreneurship and, and the lack of women and people of color who have um, access to the resources that are out there. And she said that of the I'm not going to remember the numbers, but um, of all the money that was given by investors to startups, only 2% was given to women. And only point, I think it's 0.006 was given to African-American women or women of color. Mm -hmm. And that, I I knew the number was low, but I was so shocked. I I just couldn't believe it was that low. So um, over a cup is... Um, it is for minority women entrepreneurs, right, and you all meet. Why don't you just tell me about about what that group is?
1: Uh, certainly. So OverCup, we, I started this initiative, uh, our first meeting was in January of this year. So we're coming up on um, January 2019. But I started OverCup uh, to connect minority women entrepreneurs and those aspiring to entrepreneurship uh, for us to have some real conversations, you know, I did not want to have a workshop or an adventure. People have to come and pay, you know, $50 for, like, we're already having, um, you know, various issues, again, you know, with access to capital, uh, with, with um, even, you know, people accepting um, us um, and taking us serious as business owners. Um, and so I wanted to create just an area to where we can come in a safe space. And just discuss these things because even though women um, are not being represented well or, or face these barriers, there's a, a different set of barriers that are faced by when you're a woman and then you also have, um, you're of a minority class. And, mm-hmm. you know, as far as a race. And so uh, Over a Cup allows us to come together and just be honest and have a conversations that we would normally not have in a public uh, arena. And we meet every fourth Saturday at 8 a.m. <laughs> at a various coffee house uh, around the city.
0: And as it invitation only, I'm looking at your page and it doesn't appear that it's secret or anything. So could, can people join your page if they want to?
1: Yes, it's open, um, and on the page, you know, I try to share women, um, other women entrepreneurs and that, you know, just some advice again that I'm, that I'm, I'm learning from as well. But I've, you know, being in the position that I've been, I've been privy and blessed to be able to, you know, interact with many different people. Um, but I must admit, as a black woman, I'm one of the few black women in the room, no matter where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And I also know that there is, um, right now, that there is a barrier for other black women uh, that, you know, they don't want to go to the chamber. They don't want to talk to, you know, individuals. There's still this divide. And so uh, with Over a Cup, it's really just me um, bringing that conversation to them. I I will go. I will meet. I will network with anyone. But, you know, that's not often uh, just widespread within my community. And so whatever I learn at these meetings, I um, mean, just if I, I, just bring it to them and hopefully that we can, they will have that confidence to, you know, further themselves out and and, and meet other people and expose their businesses and the great ideas they have, you know, more outside of our community as well.
0: Yeah, I love it. I, I'll admit, so I'm, I'm white and um, I have, I've done this twice now and once it was with over a cup, I was like, oh. I'd love to join this group. And I say, no, you're, you're white. And that's okay. <laughs> and then, but I have some friends who do a podcast here, Rock the Culture in Little Rock. And, and I was talking to Charles Blake, he's a state rep. And um, I was like, oh my God, I want to be on your podcast. Oh, but no, it's, it's not for me. And so it's, it's so tempting to like, want to be a part of this, but I, I think it's so important that we have access to groups with people who are our true peers, right? women of color, or just women generally, or LGBTQ, whatever it is. And so I think it's great because you've got this uh, group together. And so can you share just in general terms kind of what what are some common concerns or, or common issues that women of color face in, in the business world?
1: One, as we just mentioned, access to capital and financial support, even with a stellar business plan. It, um, no matter what, it statistically, it is easier for an individual um, that is just coming um, into the country and, uh, and you know, through, you know, in citizenship and becomes a, a citizen to get support to open up their business than it is for um, a black woman to receive support. And, you know, this is just not like, okay, you're making stuff up. No, it's. <laughs> the data uh, supports it, and uh, uh, and that's disheartening. Um, and so we have these conversations, conversations to expose those raw feelings. But then we also know, because it's business. One of the things that I would like to say: we have to support, especially as black women, we have to support our feelings with facts. While we can have the conversation over cup allows us to express that we're also discussing the strategies. Now, this is how we maneuver, um, because it, I mean, it is a maneuvering. It's a, it's a game of chess for us. And you think it shouldn't be that way, but it's definitely, um, again, going back to the strategy. And even if that's helping with develop a strategic plan or business portfolio so you can go and get that extended line of credit or um and, and again things that just we're all learning from one another you know or even getting the resource pointing the right direction of how to do that and so that's the number one thing uh that the access to capital and financial support and then the other thing is just creating that space just for our businesses um, among the market that we're trying to find that niche to where even if we are uh, I'm a black woman with a business my black my business is not exclusive to black people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and We face that, and I know many people uh, probably don't even think about that, but sometimes when we have a business owner, they think, and you're a black business owner, they think that your services are only dedicated to black people, and so moving beyond that stigma, and those are the the two, and we have some other um, things, but I think those are the two greatest obstacles that we face, and we are coming together to figure out ways to overcome them, so People can see that we have successful businesses and business models, and we are here to be economic stimulators for our communities as well.
0: So what are your ideas to change that? What do we need to do? I mean, I know that I need to, I, and, I, and I do try to do this, I try to patronize minority-owned businesses. But what else What else can we be doing?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, that is the number one thing is just the widespread support. Mm -hmm. Of those, you know, those businesses. And just like with a small business and a minority business, you know, one of the biggest complaints, especially if you're product-oriented, that your product, you know, is higher. Well, we can't compete with the Walmart. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, so uh, that's just going to be an expectation. The overhead cost and all of that gets you know this stuff uh, is just higher or well you know that's a whole different conversation, and so um, I think the patronizing gets good, and I think uh as as well, just given the opportunity, you know, one thing that I do try to try to stress is that opportunity and then access to opportunity, you know, there are two different things. And so, access to the opportunity of financial backing and then the opportunity to where the patronizing of uh, the businesses um and just move beyond the social construct, I think, of how people view minority businesses, that will help as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So, one of the issues that I've had is figuring out the digital marketing landscape because is that something that you help people with is trying to figure out how to stand out on the internet I don't even know how you do that anymore I mean that That's- seems to be me to be another kind of common problem that uh, new business owners have is just trying to figure out how to market these days
1: yes and so is when when people are listening if you're listening you no, know it's if someone has figured that out, you can definitely bring that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <swim. laughs> because we're okay. in time to where I get it, you know, that I'm 32, so I'm supposed to be this individual that is tech savvy and have this figured out. But I, you know, I, I'm again, I'm trying to figure that thing out to where it's free. Yes, it's free, but we're in such an age to where. Um, Yes, people utilize uh, social media so much for personal and marketing, and then all these algorithms about getting that, you know, this click and um, click to customer, you know, I, I would love to get some guidance on that as well.
0: <laughs> well, I will let you know as soon as I find someone. That is, thats That has been a frustrating thing for me because, you know, I'm 47, but I, I feel like I'm fairly savvy. and. It's obviously something I think about as a business owner, but I swear it changes every
1: day, you know, as soon as I learn something that's out of date. It it does. And then as well of appeasing people because now social media, while – I think we use it in a responsible manner to not only connect and share and, and family enjoy. I'm young, but I tell people I have an old life, you know, I've been with my husband since 17. And so we, uh, I, I'm not, I, I, have a, I have an old soul I guess I should say. And so there's this line for me to where I don't like to over engage. I still like to face to face conversation. I, I, you know, I still like to meet people and just, yeah, you know, but the increasing phenomenon is moving away from that. And so trying to, you know, market your business without it being messy or full of drama that people like to see or
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so that is uh, that is tough. So I'm definitely uh, interested. We're actually going to, uh, through my business, Paris Grants, we host a nonprofit summit. And this year will be the third nonprofit summit, the first weekend of March of 2019. And one of the subject um, subject topics will be how to use social social media to increase financial uh, donor support and also engagement. And uh, I think that's going to be an interesting topic because I'm definitely going to use that for business purposes <laughs> uh, right. as, as well. So we're only going to have 45 slots available. We had 45 last year. And, well, we had 50. Uh, last year, and I believe we're going to keep between forty-five and fifty. Um, it was so impactful and empowering to be able to have that smaller group, and then to break up into small groups and have um, some further discussion. That mm-hmm. I uh, we really like the intimacy, and then on the surveys and what we received is that the intimacy that was felt with the with the summit. Um, you know, was was great. And so I think we're going to still probably keep it, you know, between 45 and 50 again for next year as well.
0: Yeah, I agree that when we do our campaign trainings for women, um, we usually only get 25, maybe not quite 30. But one of the best things about the training is is that women get a chance to get to know each other and and interact. It really does make a big difference. Uh, yes. And, and it's the and that summit is it's, it's for anyone involved or interested in nonprofits, right?
1: Yes, anyone's involved in nonprofit and profit development. You would like to start a nonprofit, or you're a seasoned, you know, director, uh, and even when that we've had community leaders there as well. Because of the information, I mean, we've even had people just entrepreneurs. The information just translates when it comes down to organization behavior and development and program impact um, and figuring out those uh, techniques to increase your program impact and your income, that is universal language for the nonprofit and for-profit sectors. So it's beneficial. I'm sure if if you're not in the nonprofit world, you will learn something, but it is tailored for nonprofit support. Last year, we had the assistant attorney general to come and be one of our keynote speakers, uh, just to even learn on the back end. A lot of what I'm learning now is that many people have a passion to start nonprofits, but, you know, do not understand the technicalities and structure
0: uh,
1: mm-hmm. and fundraising uh, laws, you know, within the state. And so just, you know, learning that and relearning some of those things that will help us uh, and help nonprofits to grow. You know that that as well takes place in the summit. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's really good information to have, and and I'm a lawyer too, and so I I understand kind of the legalities of nonprofits. But it's a lot. There's a lot more to it, and uh, and I think you're right. A nonprofit is a business. You know, I mean we we talk about them like they're not, but they're just like any other business. You have to maintain your books and make sure you're complying with grants and have you know, incorporate and get your C3 and, you know, I mean, just all of that stuff. So there's that's really good information for people.
1: That's what I tell people when I consult in different in, or directors when I consult with them that, you know, business is bottom line. You're talking about profit, but your bottom line is service impact. And so just as if someone develops a business and they have to make sure their product is relevant, they also have to make sure their program is relevant you know, you have people that say, well, oh, I really want to start this nonprofit and I want to um, start a tutoring, you know, um, program. But the area that you're in, you know, maybe have a, a graduation rate of 99% and everyone's graduating with honors. Well, the <laughs> mm-hmm. community that, that you're in, that your program area is not relevant. Um, and so we have to also think about that, that, Just, you know, when you're thinking about your service and and if it is a nonprofit truly passionate, you know, it's not saying stop your dream and and stop what you want to do, but, you know, see if that's the season or that's the community that you're actually supposed to um, start that in. And, you know, and all of that are things that, you know, you think about. And then you learn that as I started CARES grants and services, I am learning more. And each, it feels like you're, once you learn something, you're like, oh man, I've done mm-hmm. this this time. And so you're going to keep growing. I'm new to entrepreneurship. And but what I'm learning now, that's why I started over a cup. Whatever I learn, I tell people when they come to the meetings, I'm no expert mm-hmm. at <laughs> all. I am just resharing information and lessons so that we can grow together. Yep,
0: We are all in this together. I say that all the time. So, is there something in your childhood that led you to want to do this, or, or is it something inherent in your personality? What What made you interested in being an entrepreneur?
1: I have always known that I am. I was called to. I was called to lead, and I know that may seem a little self-righteous, but no. <laughs> it really is. I uh, I I was a gifted and talented uh, girl in school and third grade, we had to write a book, and they asked me what I wanted to be, and I grew up, and you could not tell me that I was not going to be the president of the United States. (laughs) I mean, seriously, and even now, I know it's crazy, but I'm like, if I want to be the president of the United States, I can be the president of the United States. I've always had this stubbornness just to be the forefront (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and, and to lead. I knew Even younger, even now, I am not the best person that's attention to detail, but I'm a visionary, Mm -hmm. and and I've been like that since I was, oh my my word, since I was young, and it's just now I have big dreams and big visions, and so I've always had this calling for more, and it wasn't until, though, I read, uh, it's a book by Jordan Rainer. It's called Call to Create, and it's about... uh, Christian entrepreneurship, it, it, that, that book really kind of set the light bulb on me to where I was trying to define it, that I've always had a call to entrepreneurship, I, you know, starting businesses and selling things and organ, and organizing things, I've been doing that since I was young, and you just never know, you know, how your personality, and I see that each, with each of my girls, that you know what you're called to do. It's not you find that at 23, 24. Those signs are always with you. You're you're small and it just starts to you know the pieces start just falling into place as you get older. But yes, as I was younger, I've always been interested in leadership and then advocacy. I've always been interested in learning about history and and civil rights. And so even with that now, I uh, you know uh, with political involvement and engagement. That's always just been with me um, to advocate for people who didn't have a voice or who needed a louder voice. As you can see, I love talk. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, again, and it's just like saying those pieces are just starting to fall into place. To you know, I know now that my journey in life is again the road to entrepreneurship, their road to advocacy, the road to just wanting to see my community. Thrive and uh, figuring out, you know, how to lend my voice and my hands to that.
0: I guess my last uh, kind of area I want to cover early in the conversation, you had talked about your interest in politics and policy. How can women get involved? I know that's a big question, but what ideas do you give people? Run for a city a commission or run for office? Or what do, how do you encourage
1: women to get involved? Well, first, um, as an official, non official, politicians <laughs> right or as far as holding office. Right now, I, my truth is that I am, uh, I advocate, you know, I, on my level, as far as not being in an office yet, it starts here. Well, so, you know, I do the registration drives with, um, you know, within my sorority and, uh, you know, have been the chairman of, of that, you know, initiative or do it independently um, or with my church. Um, I think if that engagement starts before the office. You know, you have to have your truth. You have to, you know, have what I think that why. And for me, and again, going back to just within my community, that that, that why is really big as far as you know why I want to um, be involved and in being a part of the change from the legislative side of things and i am have been so encouraged by the number of women in the past 2 years this is definitely what i, I call the pink wave <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely in this pink wave, and I think the next um, four to six years we're probably going to still be in this wave. So um, it's causing me to you know kind of speed up some things in my head of what I uh, need to do. And I've been getting some great advice about starting. It Really, you know, we one one woman told me uh, and actually made me more comfortable in whatever decision that you know I will make soon is that there is no right or wrong of how you want to start. If you want to go straight for the big office, do that. If you want to start as a school board, we are trying to follow scripts that were not written by us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Women, you know, in politics. So like if you're trying to follow a system, you're really following a system that was developed by, I mean, we have to be honest, older white men. And so Mm -hmm. you're going to do it, you know, create your own path, Again, I've been looking at a number of great women, uh, just and just trying to follow and piece together different models of, you know, you have people that follow the traditional path, and then you have people that just jump out of out there, you know, as well. And so I just think whatever feels, well, I believe that whatever just feels right to do, and what you're led to do. And then in all integrity, and then all you know, just do that what's authentic to you. So what I hear you saying is you're going to run for office,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which I encourage you to do. And actually, the good news is is that women are becoming as likely as men to win their races if they can get through the primaries. So it's really you know the the field is improving for women, and it's really exciting. And I'm you know, I think that we bring such important and really necessary perspectives to governing, you yeah. know, that their actions affect everyone, not just white men, you know, or whoever they're legislating for, their business you know, contacts, and so uh, and women, I believe, also they tend to think more uh, broadly in, the, in, in how they think of policy because they know how much our behavior affects a number of different people, and so I just think that women are so well-suited to, to be our leaders, and I'm looking forward to more of us becoming our elected leaders. You'll have to, you'll have to come to our training next time we
1: have one. Oh, I, oh, I, I already read that down there. I'm like, oh, this was going to be a follow-up to inquire more of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we, don't have our, we don't have a plan for 2019 yet, but I'll, I'll be sure to let you know. And Beth Quarles is actually how I got to meet you. She was a teacher in Jonesboro, and I met her at our campaign training for women.
1: Okay, she was my daughter's teacher. So, oh, really? Yes, yeah. that's how I know her, and I I, I regret that she's like, she's one of those teachers where you wish could follow your child to yeah. each each grade. Yeah, <laughs> she's there from kindergarten to to twelve, and I'm just I know that her next path, next steps are just going to be really great. I mean, she's one of the ones you wish didn't have to go. Yes. Yeah. Oh my. Uh, but yeah, I, um, I, you know, one of the things I did, one of the things that I did want to say to that and to add to this conversation about not only just women running, I think, you know, we have to also equal that conversation with women supporting, mm. um, especially in the South. <laughs> we have to, um, see women leadership as just as necessary. Uh, and, and I know there's a lot of cultural things that we have mm-hmm. to balance with that. You know because we we live in a we live in a, an area in a region to where women outside of the home uh is a very can be a very a, a very interesting topic i guess i should say the south is patriarchal right yes yeah, yeah. thank you i was trying to really study that but in that attitude though it's not just hell the um, by the men, is greatly supported yeah. by women, and so. But and I really wish that women would actually see, especially voting wise, we can turn around any race, any any race in this country in this area if we would support and, and come and come together. And I think those are again those, that could be a whole other um, mm. podcast about women supporting one another um, in via political the political arena and just the cultural conversation that you have to have about women leadership. But yeah, we should have more women leaders in Arkansas, not just in central Arkansas. You know, this should be uh it should be reflected around the region. Mm-hmm. Um but and but again, we just have the conversation first elevate the interest in the area. And so and that's what we have to keep doing.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm not from the South uh But I've been here for 21 years now, and it is something that I struggle with is the patriarchy and the expectations for women here. And I I have never been one to conform, sometimes to my detriment, usually to my benefit. But, yeah, this idea that we're supposed to be moms, wives, then maybe work – Maybe run for office later, you know. But it's you know we just have so many more considerations, and I think it's also riskier for women to run for office because we do tend to be the primary caretakers, and we manage so much more than just our ourselves and our work, right? So it's, oh, definitely,
1: I'm holding my uh, son. <laughs> yes, yes, I could hear him. Um, obviously, yeah, obviously, we supported one another, um, and that support we could translate to not just uh, the vote but the financial support, the community support of, you know, of even um, the, you know, some of the best companies that say uh, have access to the childcare. And I mean, just so many other conversations that can open up and so many actions that can be done to make it more conducive for women. And it's going to take not, it's going to take people saying that we could do that together first and then getting, um, you know, our male counterparts, to in that but you know you can't join what's not together
0: mm-hmm. so, yeah we have a lot of work to do but i think you know the more we talk about these things and you know i really just want people to just think before they react uh and, and if there is a woman who's running for office don't immediately go to well who's watching her kids or she's not pretty enough or whatever i mean you know there's there are no real qualifications to run for office um, and men certainly don't abide by any qualifications, and I, I will I will refrain from giving examples. But you know, so we just need to be open minded to to each other and say, "You go, girl. Do you need help? Do you need me to babysit? Do you need me to make a meal? Do, you know, just whatever." I think that that is the best support that we can give each other.
1: Yeah, that's why I'm looking at. yeah, Like it has to go beyond the vote. Like, what if we can create a whole community? You know, to support, I mean, to support that. And, you know, Michelle Obama spoke to it. And it was so funny because with the lean in comment, and mm-hmm. he just told, uh, what's her name? Cheryl Sandberg had already spoken to that, that after some years she's even known herself that, you know, you're just not going to be 100% as you would like in every area. And it took Michelle Obama to actually say yes that you know, she then the um then the word, but that stuff doesn't <laughs> you yeah. um, know that there is a support, um that is a support that you need and if we're not I am not I would be unauthentic if I did say that while I love being at home with my baby right now and I and another well, reason why starting, you know, on this road to entrepreneurship, I always said I wanted to be able to pick my children up and take them to school and go to parties and not be confined, you know, to, um, but then not having to be able to do that, I would be remiss as well if I said, this is the only thing that I wanted to do. I mm-hmm. love family. They are my first priority. I don't balance anything with that. My They're, they're my world. And I know that I'm also equally called on this journey of Again, entrepreneurship and being a, being a career woman,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, you know we have to get beyond making our fellow sisters you know feel bad or, or beat them up because it's saying I love working, and I love my family, and that's okay. That's right. And we
0: never question men. What you're going oh. to get a job? You've got kids at home.
1: I mean, we do not do that to men. No, no. I mean, not not at all. And then or. And it's fact, in our society, we kind of, like, stigmatize men for the men that actually devote a lot of time to yes. <laughs> That's you right. It, it's crazy. Uh, but, yeah, just we have to shift it. You know, we, we have to shift it. And I'm glad that we're having the conversation and just being out there to do that. And to able to platform to expose that and to have these conversations and bring light to that. I think this is awesome.
0: Well, Gosh, you and I are going to have to have many more conversations. Um, and it goes back to we're all in this together. You know, we can make it harder on each other, or we can make it easier.
1: Right, right, right. So I'm, I'm grateful. I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm like, I'm learning along the way. I feel, I, I just have so many other women influencers being able to connect with local women. I think that's really great too. What you all are doing because you know I have these, my Oprah and Sarah Blakely, you know, things and. Uh, and Tyra Banks and Aisha Curry—that you know—I I look to them in, in entrepreneurship as great role models. And mm-hmm. I, but I'm glad that this opportunity, what you all are doing, is giving um, local and uh, you know state women the opportunity to connect.
0: Yes, I really, I really hope that that we just learn more about our friends and women in this state and, and all of the great things that we're doing. And, you know, I would have never heard of you if Beth hadn't told me about you. And it's just, it's, you know, you talked earlier about what social media is doing to us. And, and I am definitely guilty of like, please just email or text me. Don't call me. Don't make me talk to you. But, you know, we need to, I, I think one of the keys to marketing that we talked about in that context is if it's about developing relationships right developing those connections and I think that if we can do that in all spheres of our lives including just getting to know each other even if it's through a podcast or a website you know I, I think well I hope that we become more inclined to work together to solve problems not just be I, I'm very interested in politics it's what I tend to focus on and I, I'm just so offended by the vitriol in our politics right now and I um, you know women lead is a nonpartisan nonprofit. I am liberal but I, you know, try to encourage conservative women to join us and to do things with us and and I'll I'll tell you it's been hard, you know, I mostly attract liberal women and that's fine but I, you know, that's not the reason I'm doing this. The reason I'm doing this is because we've got because I don't want to be 49th in the country, you know, and it's going to take all of us to come together and figure out ways to make this a better state and to provide opportunities for everyone, not just the people who already have the resources. So so that's what I'm trying to do here. And I think getting to know each other humanizes each other. Um, it makes us appreciate each other. And at least that's my hope and, and that we can all work together. And then if, you know, if I can introduce you to Kim Lane or, or whoever, and, you know, you guys are trying to solve this problem with entrepreneurship and, and access to funding uh, for women and particularly minority women, well, you also probably get it done, you know, but you can't get it done if you don't know each other. So
1: Exactly. So I, I, I
0: appreciate your appreciation, and and I and I think that this is just a start to hopefully getting this all. I don't even know how to talk
1: about it. Um, you know, just to making this, this place a better place for everyone. Right. It's so, but like it's so much, and I think you know, and it's and it's funny that we, uh, especially as women, that we can't seem to join together because we're looking to see who's red, blue, you know, ill yep. or C, and, and and, and I'll tell people, I, I believe purple anyways. So it's, yeah, <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm, I'm of the understanding and know enough now, and learning enough, I should say, that it takes a myriad of, of things to, you know, move things forward. But we do have to, you know, acknowledge that there are just some things that, that are not going to work and are not, you know, working. And we are all, and I tell people this, we're all liberal when we want to be liberal. We pick and choose. <laughs> right. Especially in Arkansas, we pick and choose. <laughs> yes. When we want to, you know, be all for And I was like, and that's liberal, you know. Yes. Uh, and so, and we definitely have some unique conversations. And, and I think even with women, lead, you know, we're going to have to, um, even with politics, we're going to have to be real and have some real conversations about what we're facing. And yeah. in the in the in the construct of what, how we vote compared to what we need and the actions that follows that. Um, and so uh, again, that's a, that's a whole entire different yeah. conversation. But all right, well I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you for having me. I definitely appreciate the conversation. Uh, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to share my work through Caris Grants and Services and through Over a Cup and. With Women Lead Arkansas, I'm definitely uh, just um, in awe of the consistency to produce and to cultivate uh, women leaders in the state. So, again, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. And I cannot wait to meet in person, and I predict many more conversations like this in the future. So I appreciate everything you're doing for the women in your area uh, and for your family and yourself in the community. So keep up the great work, and I can't wait for you to run
1: for office. Oh, you got it. Uh, you got it. And considering you're having a new, uh, a new connection to uh, consider it yet now, you, you can't get rid of me now. Yeah, good. Good. I don't want to.
0: Well,
1: I appreciate it. And you
0: have a great day. And I will talk to you soon.
1: Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Thanks. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.